Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Second Corinthians, originally it was designed to be a survey, really it wasn't even a survey, it was more of an analysis, um, but now this is the tenth week in which we have been considering these things, and so with our break last week, I decided to try to uh, curtail some of this a little bit. And the reason is because I started to ramble on longer than I intended. And so with our break last week, I'm taking the opportunity to cut off what has actually been a long introduction to build up to the premise of putting faith in action. Building God's Kingdom in Challenging Times. And so the premise basically is this, because what Paul was trying to communicate to the Corinthians who were being led astray. That's a common theme in the first century church, right? What's the book of Galatians about? The church was being led astray in Galatia, right? So Paul writes that letter uh, to instruct them and to correct them, the very things that we don't like. And so here in 1 Corinthians, that's what, and 2 Corinthians, that's what's going on. And we utilize the Corinthian church because they had a lot of problems, right? You know, they, they were running a uh, close second with the Laodicean church there in Revelation chapter 3. And uh, so we chose the Corinthian church because of their problems in light of our problems. And so one of the things that Paul is trying to get across to them so that they would first of all not be led astray because that's one of the jobs of ministers and that is to Try to keep the sheep from being led astray. Uh, In Titus, we see that the office of a bishop carries the requirement of being able to shut the mouths of those who oppose God, right? And the reason is because um, all the different voices lead sheep astray. And so Paul is trying to get them to understand that they are to follow faithful ministers. Notice in chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul says, Let a man so consider us, he's talking to the Corinthians, that they should consider Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and so forth, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, they were 
not only being deceived by false ministers, but they were also allowing themselves to be um, divided, even amongst the good ministers, right? They were becoming sectarian. And so, in, in relation to that, he says, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so throughout the rest of his letter, and his second letter as well, there will be periods of time where he makes statements against the false ministers, the false apostles, the super apostles, as sometimes they are referred to. And he is trying to show them this premise. And this is the premise of the whole thing. It's very simplistic, okay? Because I'm pretty simplistic. But the premise of the whole thing, whether it is in identifying who are the true ministers to follow and who are the false ministers to shun. The whole premise of the Corinthian church being restored into a vibrant and powerful community of saints is faithfulness. This is how we build God's kingdom in challenging times. We simply follow faithful people and live faithfully. Isn't that what we are told to do, to live by faith? The just shall live by faith. And that's what we are to do. If you live by faith, that means you're living faithfully. The fact is that our unfaithfulness has caused our very difficult situation that we presently find ourselves in, not only in relation to the church, but in relation to our whole society, and even Western civilization, that great product of the Great Reformation, The reason why we find ourselves in this situation is that we don't have faithful ministers and we don't have faithfulness in the church. That's our problem. What we need are faithful ministers and a faithful church. That is why Paul addresses them in particular ways all throughout these two letters, even very sarcastically at times. Sometimes even, as our sensitivities will tell us, mean. Sometimes mockingly. Because it's that important. We need to be stirred up by any means necessary to follow those who are faithful and to be faithful ourselves. Because what is needed in this day and hour, it is not economic reform. It is not new administrations. What we need right now at this day and this time are faithful ministers and a faithful church. That is the remedy to our problem. Now, are there specific things that we need to do in society as a result of faithfulness in the church? Why, of course. But what I'm saying is, is that none of that other stuff will happen and none of it will matter if we do not have a faithful church 
Once again, that means faithful people. We must become the Christians that this world needs. Paul made an interesting statement in Romans about this world groaning for the revelation of the sons of God, right? Well, that is what we are witnessing. What we need are godly people. We need God's people. To put faith into action. And that's how you build God's kingdom in challenging times. That's how you build God's kingdom in any time. And we have allowed so many things to distract us. I mean, seriously, if you was to boil it all down, it wouldn't amount to a hill of beans. Because, listen... Truly, surely to goodness, we can at least acknowledge and admit that we are the snowflake generation. Are we not? I mean, read history. That's the reason why we can't understand this is because we don't read history anymore. Read about what people have endured throughout all time. We are snowflakes. The toughest of our bunch today are snowflakes so whoever you think is the toughest person that you know or just maybe there's some kind of an icon in society whoever the toughest person is listen there's snowflake in comparison to history if you're like i don't know about that then you need to read history So this is how we put our, this is how we rebuild, in our terms today, God's kingdom in challenging times. That is, we just, we be, that we become faithful. We have to live faithful lives. We have to live by faith. A complete, absolute trust in God and his word. We're talking about the kind of faith that can, in hope and confidence, be burned in the gardens of Nero, knowing that Nero was going down. That's a lot tougher than us today, right? <laughs> um, that's a little bit more faith than we have today how many of you are, are willing right now would be willing right now at this very moment and don't raise your hands be willing right now at this very moment and if you're older let's back you up okay let's get us all backed up to like 20 years old how many of you would have been willing or would be willing retroactively to give up your life at 20 years of age because you had faith that God was going to use that to advance his kingdom and put down his enemies. But that's the kind of faith that they had in the past. And we can't even trust God in our measly little finances 
And I say measly because there's not, there's not a millionaire amongst us, right? I mean, we can't even trust God with our, our few junky possessions that we have, that when we die, people are going to come in and just throw it all away. Right? They're going to come in. All the stuff you've accumulated, they're going to come in. And yeah, there might be something, one or few things here and there. But most of it is going to go in the dumpster, right? Unless it's guns. Those someone will take, right? But the rest of it, it's like, I already got a junky dining room table. I don't need another one, right? Um, so we, we can't even trust God in, in those things, in the little things. We can't even trust God in our marriages, in our family. We can't trust God in the little things. We can't live by faith in those things. But yet, Christianity calls us to a greater faith than just our everyday lives. We have been called to live by faith unto death. Because we're all going to die at one point or another. And we are to live by faith unto death. That even no matter if you're 20 years old or you are 80 years old, when you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you will fear no evil because you know that God is with you. It's that kind of faith. Living by faith in everything. You see... And the reason why this is so important in this conversation about putting faith into action and building God's kingdom in challenging times is because it's only in faithfulness that we will experience the power of God. Because when we're unfaithful, that's 1 John chapter 1. We are walking in darkness and not in the light. Because when we live by faith, that is living in the light. So if you're not living in faith, then you're walking in darkness. And it's because of sin that has separated you from fellowship with God that needs to be restored. And so John says, if we sin, that we are to confess our sins, knowing that God will forgive us and cleanse us from them. But it's only in faithfulness that we will experience the power of God and the advancement of the church. We have to be faithful. And the faithfulness starts in the little things because God's never going to give us greater things if we're not faithful in the little things. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? He who is faithful in little is faithful in much. So he who is not faithful in little will not be faithful in much. So why would God give us much if we're not going to be faithful in the little? So it's only in faithfulness that we can see any action. It's only in faithfulness that God's kingdom can be built, even in challenging times. So we must put our faith into action. 
by living by faith or live or in living by faith in every aspect of our lives every single thing should be characterized by faith you know sometimes we become well we have all kinds of problems but uh you know we can also become educated beyond our own good or knowledgeable above uh, or too knowledgeable for our own good and become very engineerish and mechanical right and not be able to see the providence of God at work in everything to see God at work in everything that's living by faith every little aspect is being seen it's being viewed through faith in God faith in God and his word and so we can lose sight of those things and become very mechanical very engineerish and so therefore we become blind to the reality of God's work and the reality of God's voice and cease to live in faith but in every single thing we should see the glory of God and we should be seeking the will of God in every little thing so that the glory of God can be manifested in it one of the things that um, you know there's a lot of conversation about all these guys but um, anyway um, one of the things that uh, this psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson tells young men who become very idealistic, you know, and they're going to change the world. Especially these college students, right? They become activists, and they're going to change everything and make it better, and all the older people are so stupid, and we're going to do it right. And he tells them, if you want to change the world, clean your bedroom. He said, because that's something you can do, and it will have an immediate effect upon your world, right? It's the little things. And so, in every little thing of our lives, we should be living by faith and in faith. Everything. Completely resigned, completely surrendered to the will and providence of God. Now, That is not to say that we're not going to experience sorrow. It's not to say that we're not going to experience fear. Who was it, John Wayne, that said, um, I forget what it is now about fear. That's terrible. That's what happens when you start trying to run rabbit trails, right? There's never ever any intention of talking about John Wayne this morning. Um, I'm not going to get it, so I need to move on. But, um, but, but, you know, courage is not like totally absent from fear, but there's something greater than the fear. You know, we have sorrow. And Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We have sorrow, but we don't like, we, we don't sorrow like those who, 
don't have any hope because there's something greater than our sorrow. You see, as Christians, we should have something greater than our fear, greater than our um, sorrow, greater than anything that comes against us. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So it's like, yeah, my knees are shaking, but I'm going to go forth in confidence Because I know, I have faith in Jesus. In identifying the three marks of the church, the reformers identified these as this. The faithful preaching of the word, the faithful administration of the sacraments, and the faithful exercise of church discipline. Notice their emphasis upon faithful, right? To be faithful to what God has instructed us to believe and do. And one of the things that we are to believe is that there's nothing greater in this world than he who lives in us. Nothing. Not a thing. Therefore, the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. You are with me. So we need to restore this aspect of living by faith. And so I'm just going to mention these seven things here this morning in relation to our faithfulness, that if we would become faithful to these things, we could advance the church of Jesus Christ here in Mooresville, Canby, here in the south-central part of Indiana. First of all, we've already spoke to this, so I'm not going to spend very much time on it. But first of all, to be a united church. To be faithful to this command that we have been given. For we have been commanded to be one, even as Jesus and his Father are one. Which means to have the same love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. That is the same love, not only that we are to have to the triune God, but That's the same love we are to have to one another. That kind of love. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school again this morning. But we are one. Listen to the words of Paul to the church at Corinthian or at Corinth. Sorry. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11. Now I plead with you. I beg you. Like, come on. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You're like, yeah, but you don't understand. I don't, we don't understand. 
But you don't understand. You see, because it's to be this way and this way and this way and this way and the, they're not that way and there's no way that we're not going to have division. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. So we have the same creed. And we have the same confession. So we're speaking the same thing because we're Protestant Christian, right? And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Yeah, but you don't understand. What don't we understand? This is the church of Corneth he's talking to. Remember this church? Remember all their problems? All the things that I'm listing here that, they, that, that we are to be if we are going to build the church in challenging times are the things that they were failing at. Okay? So, what, here's our list. Our list... Whoops, if I can find it. Our list is to be a united church. They were failing miserably in that area. They were, they were a divided church. Secondly, to be a holy church. They were sexually impure. They were not a holy church. Third is to be an obedient church. Nope, they weren't that either. That's the reason why Paul just flat out told them, follow me as I follow Christ. If you think the tone was not demanding, you're wrong. That was not one of these, hey guys, come on, come on and follow me and we'll follow Christ together. That's not what he was saying. That's not the context there. He was saying, follow me as I follow Christ. That was a stern command that he's given them. And then there were to be a worshiping church. <laughs> oh my goodness, you talk about chaos in the Corinthian church absolute chaos and sensationalism. To be a giving church, they weren't that either. A working church and a victorious church. So, when Paul is telling them to be united and that there's not to be any divisions among them, but that they are to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, There's a twofold aspect going on. First of all, he's saying, listen, conform yourself to the truth. Right? That's the first thing that's being said. And the second thing that's being said is that in the midst of all the messiness of your church, be united. Listen to what he says about their division. In 1 Corinthians 3.3, For you are still carnal. And then he gives the reason why they're carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The reality, even, you know, the the true Christian divine reality is 
oneness of the people of God. Their psychic reality, as we talked about in Sunday school, was causing divisions because no one was living up to their idealism. You see, here's why we are one, and this is why we are to be one. And this goes along with our observance of the Lord's Supper this morning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, For we, though many, for we are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. What is he saying there? What unites us is Jesus Christ. That's it. Therefore, he says, there should be no schism in the body. Why? Because we're all partakers of that one bread. Therefore, he says, there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. That we should care about each and every one the same. And what is the same? The same that Jesus cares about us. Will Jesus ever leave you or forsake you? If you belong to him, right? You're part of that one bread, right? Will he ever leave you or forsake you? No. Will he ever just let you go? No. Secondly, we, are to, we should be a holy church if we want to put our faith into action. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul dives in. After he deals with a lot of the sectarianism that was going on in the division, he dives right into first, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to the sexual immorality of their day and in their church. Have we, ever, have we even got to the point in... You know, especially in our branches of conservative Christianity, okay? Um, in our branches of conservative Christianity, do you think we've actually got to the place yet where we can actually even admit the sexual immorality that we have in our churches? Nah, we haven't yet. Well, Paul jumps right in. Because they had a bunch of sexual immorality among them, he says. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. For a long time, we learned how to keep it under the rug, you might say. But we're to the point now where it's just commonly reported. And we still won't admit it. That's the crazy thing, Right? I mean, the whole world is looking in on our business, and they're like, oh, my goodness. I mean, these people, and, and we still won't admit it. But if we are going to build the God's kingdom in challenging times, we have to become a holy people. That means we have to address the sin issue. 
The sin issue is what needs addressed in you and 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 you and, you and me. And so Paul jumps right in. This aspect of being a holy church, being faithful to sexual purity. We are told that we're not to be deceived, Paul says. That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes through the list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. That is not the way you inherit the kingdom of God. That is not the way you build God's kingdom in any time. We have to become faithful to what God has commanded, which is found in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, and that is to flee sexual immorality. So, if we used to go around, or someone was to come up to you and say, I mean, this is just, I mean, this is just being honest, right? So, men, if, some, if a brother, a close brother, I'm not saying just anyone and everyone and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you know, you have to have discernment on who you confide in. But let's say your close brother in the church comes to you and is like, Brother, how can I pray for you this week? What man should not respond that I would have pure thoughts. How many of us would ever respond that way, though? Probably none of us. And it gets even worse because you sisters, (laughs) you sisters, one of your close sisters in the church, came to you, sister, how can I pray for you this week? Your response, what what should not ever be our response, that I would have pure thoughts. Of course, all the women, they think their thoughts are pure because they don't have the thoughts like men do, but they have the same kind of thoughts that lead to the same type of thing because it takes two to tango, (laughs) right? Anyway, sexual purity. Become committed to that. But also in the aspect of holiness overall. In all things. You see, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ. Set apart as holy. Set apart to be holy. And of course, we have lost that concept today. We don't even know what holiness is. We think it's a movement. Or we think it has to do with personal preferences. We don't really know what biblical holiness is. And so we come up with all of our personal preferences and then condemn everybody else as the evil, terrible sinners based on our preferences. 
But we are to be sanctified. We are called to be saints. And therefore, Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in relation to idolatry and sexual immorality. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And then third, and by the way, we don't have time, but let me throw in, just remind you of this, that when it comes to holiness, there must be repentance and forgiveness. That is the path to holiness. Third, though, to be an obedient church. Paul telling... The Corinthians in, first, in chapter 7 and verse 19, they were dividing over the whole circumcision and uncircumcision arguments. And he tells them, he's like, listen, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God is what matters. Obedience, not ritual. That's what matters. Obedience, not sacrifice. So, Paul tells them to keep the traditions that have been delivered to them. He tells them in 2 Corinthians 2, 9, this is the end. This is the purpose why I wrote you, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he tells them that everything will be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then you will be made ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And then fourth, to be a worshiping church. We need to conclude here um, for sake of time. But in their worship, they had all kinds of idolatrous practices, all kinds of irregular practices. And so he, uh, he instructs them to set in order their worship according to the apostolic tradition, to the commands and the traditions of the apostles. Not their own thing, but that which Christ's apostles established for the churches. And so, the premise, though, behind all that is this. That is to be done to the glory of God. And according to his purpose and his prescription, and not having agreement with idols but to be separate unto God. And then fifth, to be a giving church. He spends a lot of time uh, in, on this topic. And he basically gives them this premise in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So... This is a biblical principle that you find throughout Scripture, 
And it basically boils down to this when we start thinking about things. Is what's it worth to you? And I'm not just talking about money. What's it worth to you? What is the advancement of Christ's kingdom worth to you? He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, we must become faithful in our service. In what we give to the Lord. And then, what goes along with that is to be a working, to work faithfully, to be a working church. We are, he calls them servants and stewards of God. About having received a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation that we are to be engaged in. And then, seventh, and always in connection... <clears throat> To the resurrection that we are a victorious church. And the reason why we are, should be a victorious church is because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He has been victorious. Why are we not victorious? Because we're not a resurrection people. We don't have resurrection faith. We are not living in the light of the resurrection. We do not believe that Christ truly is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. We do not believe the words where it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? So we are, if we're going to, in these challenging times, build the kingdom of God right here, in this place, with these people, with these families, in this community, in this region, we must restore faithfulness, a true living by faith, Living by faith in unity, living by faith in holiness, living by faith in obedience, living by faith in worship, living by faith in giving, living by faith in working, living by faith in victory. That's how we do it. We simply become faithful. Faithful servants of our Lord Jesus Christ who go forth just as he has commissioned us, just as he has sent us into this world to advance his kingdom through his gospel. Father, we pray that you would make us faithful, cause us to be faithful. And we have hope and confidence even in the times of our unfaithfulness because we know that you are always faithful. And so therefore we can have that hope and we can have that confidence that even in our shortcomings and even in our failures that you will not fall short and you will 
not fail. But you will perform all that you have purpose to do in our salvation and in the new creation of a new people and a new earth in righteousness. And we pray that you would help us to be committed to the task in living by faith. In Christ's name, amen.